Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Did someone say Swedish folk stories? No? Well, I sure did. <laughs> Ghost tales, a monstrous snake, and a tale of men in wolf skin. Welcome, listeners, to your lineup of Swedish stories. Unique and very old stories, which you'll know what I mean once you start listening to them. Their phrasing and sentence structure is definitely different. And the way the stories play out, also definitely different. But that makes it all the more interesting. And one is all about werewolves, with a very different kind of narrative. But I'll stop myself there just in case I reveal too much about that story. So I'm super excited to get these stories to you, and it's a great way to finish off this week. Also, I hope you're enjoying a hot beverage because I'm enjoying my turmeric latte, which I know sounds strange, but you just gotta try it. It's heartwarming on a cold night, truly warming the heart and soul. And it's a strange yellow. <laughs> so grab your own hot beverage and join me for some old, old tales. Get your parchment out and your quill ready. And let's dig in. Yuletide Spectres Once upon a time there lived two peasants on a homestead called Vadiras, just as there are two peasants living on it now. In those days the roads were good, and the women were in the habit of riding when they wanted to go to church. One Christmas the two women agreed that they would ride to Christmas Night Mass, and whichever one of them woke up at the right time was to call the other. For in those days there was no such thing as a watch. It was about midnight when one of the women thought she heard a voice from the window calling, I am going to set out now. She got up hurriedly and dressed herself, so that she might be able to ride with the other woman. But since there was no time to eat, she took a piece of bread from the table along with her. In those times it was customary to bake the bread in the shape of a cross. It was a piece of this kind that the woman took and put in her pocket in order to eat it underway. She rode as fast as she could to catch up with her friend, but could not overtake her. The way led over a little stream which flows into Vidastern Lake, and across the stream was a bridge known as the Earth Bridge, and on the bridge stood two witch trolls busy washing. As the woman came riding across the bridge, one of the witch trolls called out to the other, Hurry and tear her head from her shoulders. That I cannot do, returned the other, because she has a bit of bread in the form of a cross in her pocket. The woman, who had been unable to catch up with her neighbor, reached the church at Hanger alone. The church was full of lights, as was always the case when the Christmas mass was said. As quickly as ever she could, the woman tied up her horse and hurriedly entered the church. It seemed to her that the church was crowded with people, but all of them were headless. And at the altar stood the priest in full canonicals, but without a head. In her haste, she did not at once see how things were but sat down in her accustomed place. As she sat down, it seemed to her that someone said, If I had not stood godfather to you when you were christened, I would do away with you as you sit there. 
And now hurry, and make yourself scarce, or it will be the worst for you. Then she realized that things were not as they should be, and ran out hastily. When she came into the churchyard, it seemed to her as though she was surrounded by a great crowd of people. In those days, people wore broad mantles of unbleached wool, woven at home and white in color. She was wearing one of these mantles, and the spectres seized it, but she flung it away from her and managed to escape from the churchyard and ran to the poorhouse and wake the people there. It is said it was then one o'clock at night. So she sat and waited for the early mass at four o'clock in the morning, and when day finally dawned, they found a little piece of her mantle on every grave in the churchyard. A similar experience befell a man and his wife who lived in a hut known as Ingus below Mosled. They were no more than an hour ahead of time, but when they reached the church at Hanger, they thought the service had already begun and wanted to enter at once, but the church was barred and bolted and the phantom service of the dead was nearing its end. And when the actual mass began, there was found lying at every place some of the earth from the graves of those who shortly before had been worshipping. The man and his wife thereupon fell grievously ill because they had disturbed the dead. The Skalunda Giant In the Skalunda Mountain, near the church, there once lived a giant in the early days, who no longer felt comfortable after the church had been built there. At length, he decided that he could no longer stand the ringing of the church bells, so he emigrated and settled down on an island far out in the North Sea. Once upon a time a ship was wrecked on this island, and among those saved were people from Skalunda. Whence do you hail? asked the giant, who by now had grown old and blind, and sat warming himself before a log fire. We are from Skalunda, if you wish to know, said one of the men saved. Give me your hand, so that I may feel whether there is still warm blood to be found in the Swedish land, said the giant. The man who feared to shake hands with the giant drew a red-hot bar of iron from the fire and handed it to him. He seized it firmly and pressed it so hard that the molten iron ran down between his fingers. Yes, there is still warm blood to be found in Sweden, said he. And tell me, is Galunda Mountain still standing? No, the hens have scratched it away, the man answered. How could it last? said the giant. My wife and daughter piled up in the course of a single Sunday morning, but surely the Hallenberg and the Hunenberg are still standing, for those I built myself. When the man had confirmed this, the giant wanted to know whether Karen was still living in Stormen, and when they told him that she was, he gave them a girdle, and with it the message that Karen was to wear it in remembrance of him. The men took the girdle and gave it to Karen upon their return, but before Karen put it on, she clasped it around the oak tree that grew in the court. No sooner had she done so than the oak tore itself out of the ground and flew to the north, borne away by the storm wind. In the place where it had stood was a deep pit, and the roots of the tree were so enormous 
that one of the best springs in Stormen flows from one of the root holes to this very day. The Girl and the Snake Once upon a time there was a girl who was to go to the woods and drive the cattle home, but she did not find the herd and losing her way instead, came to a great hill. It had gates and doors, and she went in. There stood a table covered with all sorts of good things to eat, and there stood a bed as well, and in the bed lay a great snake. The snake said to the girl, Sit down, if you choose. Eat, if you choose. Come and lie down in the bed, if you choose. But if you do not choose, then do not do so. So the girl did nothing at all. At last, the snake said, Some people are coming now, who want you to dance with them. But do not go along with them. Straight away, people arrived who wanted to dance with the girl, but she would hear nothing of it. Then they began to eat and drink, but the girl left the hill and went home. The following day, she again went to the wood to look for the cattle, did not find them, lost her way again, and came to the same hill. This time, she also entered and found everything as it had been the first time the well-spread table, and the bed with the snake on it. And the snake said to her, as before, Sit down if you choose, eat if you choose, come and lie down in the bed if you choose. But if you do not choose, then do not do so. Now a great many more people are coming who will want to dance with you, but do not go with them. The snake had scarcely concluded before a great many people arrived who began to dance, eat and drink, but the girl did not keep them company. Instead, she left the hill and went home. On the third day, when she once more went to the wood, everything happened exactly as on the first and second day. The snake invited her to eat and drink, and this time, she did so, with a hearty appetite. Then the snake told her to lie down beside him and the girl obeyed. Then the snake said, Put your arms about me. She did so. And now, kiss me, said the snake. But if you are afraid, put your apron between us. The girl did so, and in a moment, the snake was turned into a marvelously handsome youth, who was really a prince, bewitched in the form of a snake by magic spells and now delivered by the girl's courage. Then both of them went away, and there was nothing further heard of them. The Werewolf Once upon a time there was a king, who reigned over a great kingdom. He had a queen, but only a single daughter, a girl. In consequence, the little girl was the apple of her parents' eyes, they loved her above everything else in the world, and their dearest thought was the pleasure they would take in her when she was older. But the unexpected often happens, for before the king's daughter began to grow up, the queen, her mother, fell ill and died. It is not hard to imagine the grief that reigned, not alone in the royal castle, but throughout the land, 
for the queen had been beloved of all. The king grieved so that he would not marry again, and his one joy was the little princess. A long time passed, and with each succeeding day, the king's daughter grew taller and more beautiful, and her father granted her every wish. Now, there were a number of women who had nothing to do but wait on the princess and carry out her commands. Among them was a woman who had formerly married and had two daughters. She had an engaging appearance, a smooth tongue, and a winning way of talking, and she was as soft and pliable as silk. But at heart, she was full of machinations and falseness. Now when the queen died, she at once began to plan how she might marry the king, so that her daughters might be kept like royal princesses. With this end in view, she drew the young princess to her, paid her the most fulsome compliments on everything she had said and did, and was forever bringing around the conversation around to how happy she would be were the king to take another wife. There was much said on this head. Early and late and before very long, the princess came to believe that the woman knew all there was to know about everything. So she asked her what sort of woman the king ought to choose for a wife. The woman answered as sweet as honey, It's not my affair to give advice in this matter. Yet he should choose for a queen someone who is kind to the little princess. For one thing I know, and that is, were I fortunate enough to be chosen, my one thought would be to do all I could for the little princess. And if she wished to wash her hands, one of my daughters would have to hold the washbowl, and the other hand her the towel. This and much more she told the king's daughter, and the princess believed it, as children will. From that day forward, the princess gave her father no peace, and begged him again and again to marry the good court lady. Yet he did not want to marry her. But the king's daughter gave him no rest, but urged him again and again, as the false court lady had persuaded her to do. Finally, one day, when she again brought up the matter, the king cried, I can see you will end by having your own way about this, even though it be entirely against my will, but I will do so only on one condition. What is the condition? asked the princess. If I marry again, said the king, it is only because of your ceaseless pleading. Therefore you must promise that, if in the future you are not satisfied with your stepmother or your stepsisters, not a single lament or complaint on your part reaches my ears. This she promised the king, and it was agreed that he should marry the court lady and make her queen of the whole country. As time passed on, the king's daughter had grown to be the most beautiful maiden to be found far and wide. The queen's daughters, on the other hand, were homely, evil of disposition, and no one knew any good of them. Hence it was not surprising that many youths came from east and west to sue for the princess's hand, but that none of them took any interest in the queen's daughters. This made the stepmother very angry, but she concealed her rage and was as sweet and friendly as ever. Above the wooers was a king's son from another country. He was young and brave, and since he loved the princess dearly, she accepted his proposal and they plighted their troth. The queen observed this with an angry eye, for it would have pleased her had the prince chosen one of her own daughters, so therefore made up her mind that the young pair should never be happy together. 
and from that time on thought only of how she might part them from each other. An opportunity soon offered itself. News came that the enemy had entered the land, and the king was compelled to go to war. Now the princess began to find out the kind of stepmother she had, for no sooner had the king departed than the queen showed her true nature, and was just as harsh and unkind as she formerly had pretended to be friendly and obliging. Not a day went by without her scolding and threatening the princess, and the queen's daughters were every bit as malicious as their mother. But the king's son, the lover of the princess, found himself in an even worse position. He had gone hunting one day, had lost his way, and could not find his people. Then the queen used her black arts and turned him into a werewolf to wander through the forest for the remainder of his life in that shape. When evening came and there was no sign of the prince, his people returned home, and one can imagine what sorrow they caused when the princess learned how the hunt had ended. She grieved, wept night and day, and was not to be consoled. But the queen laughed at her grief, and her heart was filled with joy to think that all had turned out exactly as she wished. Now it chanced one day, as the king's daughter was sitting alone in her room, that she thought she would go herself into the forest where the prince had disappeared. She went to her stepmother and begged permission to go out into the forest in order to forget her surpassing grief. The queen did not want to grant her request, for she always preferred saying no to yes. But the princess begged her so winningly that at last she was unable to say no, and she ordered one of her daughters to go along with her and watch her. That caused a great deal of discussion, for neither of the stepdaughters wanted to go with her. Each made all sorts of excuses, and asked what pleasures were there in going with the king's daughter, who did nothing but cry. But the queen had the last word in the end, and ordered that one of her daughters must accompany the princess, even though it be against her will. So the girls wandered out of the castle into the forest. The king's daughter walked among the trees, and listened to the song of the birds, and thought of her lover, for whom she longed, and who was now no longer there. And the queen's daughter followed her, vexed in her malice, with the king's daughter and her sorrow. After they had walked a while, they came to a little hut, lying deep in the dark forest. By then the king's daughter was very thirsty, and wanted to go into the little hut with her stepsister, in order to get a drink of water. But the queen's daughter was much annoyed and said, Is it not enough for me to be running around here in the wilderness with you? Now you even want me, who am a princess, to enter that wretched little hut. No, I will not step a foot over the threshold. If you want to go in, why not go in alone? The king's daughter lost no time but did as her stepsister advised, and stepped into the little hut. When she entered, she saw an old woman sitting there on a bench, so enfeebled by age that her head shook. The princess spoke to her in her usual friendly way. Good evening, Motherkin. May I ask you for a drink of water? You are heartily welcome to it, said the old woman. Who may you be? that step beneath my lowly roof, and greet me in so winning a way. 
The king's daughter told her who she was and that she had gone out to relieve her heart in order to forget her great grief. And what may your great grief be? asked the old woman. No doubt it is my fate to grieve, said the princess, and I can never be happy again. I have lost my only love, and God alone knows whether I shall ever see him again. And she also told her why it was, and the tears ran down her cheeks in streams, so that anyone would have felt sorry for her. When she had ended, the old woman said, You did well in confiding your sorrow to me. I have lived long, and may be able to give you a bit of good advice. When you leave here, you will see a lily growing from the ground. This lily is not like other lilies, however, but has many strange virtues. Run quickly over to it, and pick it. If you can do that, then you need not worry, for then one will appear who will tell you what to do. Then they parted, and the king's daughter thanked her, and went her way, while the old woman sat on the bench and wagged her head. But the queen's daughter had been standing without the hut the entire time, vexing herself and grumbling because the king's daughter had taken so long. So when the latter stepped out, she had to listen to all sorts of abuse from her stepsister, as was to be expected. Yet she paid no attention to her, and thought only of how she might find the flower of which the old woman had spoken. They went through the forest, and suddenly she saw a beautiful white lily growing in their very path. She was much pleased, and ran up at once to pick it, but that very moment it disappeared, and reappeared somewhat further away. The king's daughter was now filled with eagerness, no longer listening to her stepsister's calls, and kept right on running. Yet each time when she stopped to pick the lily, it suddenly disappeared and reappeared somewhat further away. Thus it went for some time, and the princess was drawn further and further into the deep forest. But the lily continued to stand, and disappear and move further away. And each time the flower seemed larger and more beautiful than before. At length, the princess came to a high hill, and as she looked towards its summit, there stood the lily high on the naked rock, glittering as white and radiant as the brightest star. The king's daughter now began to climb the hill, and in her eagerness she paid no attention to stones nor steepness, and when at last she reached the summit of the hill, lo and behold, the lily no longer evaded her grasp, but remained where it was, and the princess stooped and picked it and hid it in her bosom. And so heartfelt was her happiness that she forgot her stepsisters and everything else in the world. For a long time she did not tire of looking at the beautiful flower. Then she suddenly began to wonder what her stepmother would say when she came home after having remained out so long, and she looked around in order to find the way back to the castle. But as she looked around, behold, the sun had set, and no more than a little strip of daylight rested on the summit of the hill. Below her lay the forest, so dark and shadowed, that she had no faith in her ability to find the homeward path. And now she grew very sad, for she could think of nothing better to do than to spend the night on the hilltop. She seated herself on the rock, put her hand on her cheek, cried, and thought of her unkind stepmother and stepsisters, 
and all of the harsh words she would have to endure when she returned. And she thought of her father, the king, who was away at war, and of the love of her heart, whom she would never see again. And she grieved so bitterly that she did not even know she wept. Night came and darkness, and the stars rose. And still the princess sat in the same spot and wept. And while she sat there, lost in her thoughts, she heard a voice say, Good evening, lovely maiden. Why do you sit here so sad and lonely? She stood up hastily and felt much embarrassed, which was not surprising. When she looked around, there was nothing to be seen but a tiny old man, who nodded to her and seemed to be very humble. She answered, Yes, it is no doubt my fate to grieve and never be happy again. I have lost my dearest love, and now I have lost my way in the forest, and am afraid of being devoured by wild beasts. As to that, said the old man, you need no fear if you do exactly as I say. I will help you. This made the princess happy, for she felt that all the rest of the world had abandoned her. Then the old man drew out flint and steel and said, Lovely maiden, you must first build a fire. She did so as he told her, gathered moss, brush and dry sticks, struck sparks and lit such a fire on the hilltop that the flame blazed up to the skies. That done, the old man said, Go on a bit and you'll find a kettle of tar and uh, bring the kettle to me. This the king's daughter did. The old man continued, Now, put the kettle on the fire. And the princess did that as well. When the tar began to boil, the old man said, Now, throw your white lily into the kettle. The princess thought this a harsh command and earnestly begged to be allowed to keep the lily. But the old man said, Did you not promise to obey my every command? Do as I tell you, or you will regret it. The king's daughter turned away her eyes and threw the lily into the boiling tar. But it was altogether against her will. So fond had she grown of the beautiful flower. The moment she did so, a hollow roar, like that of some wild beast, sounded from the forest. It came nearer and turned into such a terrible howling that all the surrounding hills re-echoed it. Finally, there was a cracking and breaking among the trees. The bushes were thrust aside and the princess saw a great grey wolf come running out of the forest and straight up the hill. She was much frightened and would gladly have run away. Had she been able. But the old man said, Make haste, run to the edge of the hill, and the moment the wolf comes along, upset the kettle on him. The princess was terrified and hardly knew what she was about. Yet she did as the old man said, took the kettle, ran to the edge of the hill and poured its contents over the wolf just as he was about to run up. And then a strange thing happened. No sooner had she done so, than the wolf was transformed, cast off his thick grey pelt, and in place of the horrible wild beast, there stood a handsome young man, looking up to the hill. And when the king's daughter collected herself and looked at him, she saw that it was really and truly her lover, who had been turned into a werewolf. It is easy to imagine how the princess felt. She opened her arms and could neither ask questions nor reply to them. 
So moved and delighted was she. But the prince ran hastily up the hill, embraced her tenderly, and thanked her for delivering him. Nor did he forget the old man, but thanked him with many civil expressions for his powerful aid. Then they sat down together on the hilltop and had a pleasant talk. The prince told her how he had been turned into a wolf and of all he had suffered while running about in the forest. And the princess told of her grief and the many tears she had shed while he had been gone. So they sat the whole night through and never noticed it until the stars grew pale and it was light enough to see. When the sun rose, they saw that a broad path led from the hilltop straight to the royal castle, for they had a view of the whole surrounding country from the hilltop. Then the old man said, Lovely maiden, turn around. Do you see anything out yonder? Yes, said the princess. I see a horseman on a foaming horse, riding as fast as he can. Then the old man said, He is a messenger sent on ahead by the king your father. And your father, with all his army, is following him. That pleased the princess above all things, and she wanted to descend the hill at once to meet her father. But the old man detained her and said, Wait a while. It is too early yet. Let us wait and see how everything turns out. Time passed and the sun was shining brightly, and its rays fell straight on the royal castle down below. The old man said, Lovely maiden, turn around. Do you see anything down below? Yes, replied the princess. I see a number of people coming out of my father's castle, and some are going along the road, and others into the forest. The old man said, Those are your stepmother's servants. She has sent some to meet the king and welcome him, but she has sent others to the forest to look for you. At these words, the princess grew uneasy and wished to go down to the queen's servants. But the old man withheld her and said, Wait a while and let us first see how everything turns out. More time passed and the king's daughter was still looking down the road from which the king would appear. When the old man said, Lovely maiden, turn around. Do you see anything down below? Yes, answered the princess. There is a great commotion in my father's castle, and they are hanging it with black. The old man said, That is your stepmother and her people. They will assure your father that you are dead. Then the king's daughter felt bitter anguish, and she implored from the depths of her heart, Let me go, let me go, so that I may spare my father this anguish. But the old man detained her and said, No, wait. It is still too early. Let us first see how everything turns out. Again time passed. The sun lay high above the fields and the warm air blew over meadow and forest. The royal maid and youth still sat on the hilltop with the old man, where we had left them. Then they saw a little cloud rise against the horizon, far away in the distance, And the little cloud grew larger and larger, and came nearer and nearer along the road. And as it moved, one could see it was a gleam with weapons, and nodding helmets, and waving flags. One could hear the rattle of swords, and the neighing of horses, and finally recognize the banner of the king. It is not hard to imagine how pleased the king's daughter was, 
and how she insisted on going down and greeting her father. But the old man held her back and said, Lovely maiden, turn around. Do you see anything happening at the castle? Yes, answered the princess. I can see my stepmother and stepsisters coming out, dressed in mourning, holding white handkerchiefs to their faces and weeping bitterly. The old man answered, Now they're pretending to weep because of your death. Wait just a little while longer. We haven't seen just how everything turns out. After a time, the old man said again, Lovely maiden, turn around. Do you see anything down below? Yes, said the princess. I see people bringing a black coffin. Now my father is having it opened. Look, the queen and her daughters are down on their knees, and my father is threatening them with his sword. Then the old man said, Your father wished to see your body, and so your evil stepmother had to confess the truth. When the princess heard that, she said earnestly, Let me go, let me go, so that I may comfort my father in his great sorrow. But the old man held her back and said, Take my advice and stay here a little while longer. We have not yet seen how everything will turn out. Again time went by, and the king's daughters and the prince and the old man were still sitting on the hilltop. Then the old man said, Lovely maiden, turn around. Do you see anything down below? Yes, answered the princess. I see my father and my stepsisters and my stepmother with all their following moving this way. The old man said, Now they have started out to look for you. Go now and bring up the wolf's pelt in the gorge. The king's daughter did as he told her. The old man continued, Now stand at the edge of the hill. And the princess did that too. Now one could see the queen and her daughters coming along the way and stopping just below the hill. Then the old man said, Now throw down the wolf's pelt. The princess obeyed him and threw down the wolf's pelt according to his command. It fell directly on the evil queen and her daughters. And then a most wonderful thing happened. No sooner had the pelt touched the three evil women than they immediately changed shape and turned into three horrible werewolves. They ran away as fast as they could into the forest, howling dreadfully. No more had this happened than the king himself arrived at the foot of the hill with his whole retinue. When he looked up and recognized the princess, he could not at first believe his eyes, but stood motionless, thinking her a vision. The old man cried, Lovely maiden, now hasten, run down and make your father happy. There was no need to tell the princess twice. She took her lover by the hand and they ran down the hill. When they came to the king, the princess ran on ahead, fell on her father's neck and wept with joy. And the young prince wept as well, and the king himself wept. And their meeting was a pleasant sight for everyone. There was great joy and many embraces, and the princess told of her evil stepmother and stepsisters and of her lover, and all that she had suffered, and of the old man who had helped them in such a wonderful way. But when the king turned around to thank the old man, he had completely vanished. And from that day no one could say who he had been or what had
had become of him. The king and his whole retinue now returned to the castle, where the king had a splendid banquet prepared, to which he invited all the able and distinguished people throughout the kingdom, and bestowed his daughter on the young prince, and the wedding was celebrated with gladness and music and amusement of every kind for many days. I was there too, and when I rode through the forest I met a wolf with two younger wolves, and they showed me their teeth and seemed very angry, and I was told they were none other than the evil stepmother and her two daughters. So, what did you think? I really hope you enjoyed today's Swedish folktales. Definitely different with a different kind of style and subtle change to normal narratives that my usual stories don't have. For example, the ghosts at the beginning and the trolls on the bridge. A little bit of lore or protection magic was revealed then. I had no idea a cross-shaped object would protect someone from such creatures, even if it's made out of something so humble as bread. Who'd have thunk it? And that giant that crushed the metal poker, so much so that the metal turned to a liquid. Not to mention the magic girdle that would have whisked Karen away. The ideas in some of these stories just blows me away. And the monstrous snake that turns into a handsome prince? Well, that's certainly a different take to the normal frog prince motif. And lastly, the tale of the werewolf. That princess went through hell, dealing with an evil stepmother and curses and losing their lover, not to mention their mother. She must be thinking what's next. Luckily, her patience and the power of what seems like two sages, even the odds. Which one was your favourite? Let me know, I'd love to hear what you think. I hope you enjoyed these tales. A big thank you to you listeners for listening, and join me next week for listener stories, of which I have to say, thank you so much for the recent submissions. They're just fantastic. Can't wait to sink my teeth into them and share them with all of you lovely people. So... Have a great weekend, and as always, till next time.